0: Good evening world and welcome to Haunting Season. Today, I'm going to be reading you a story that was published in this anthology called Death Awaits, A Scarlet Nightmare. It's available on Amazon and we gave one away for our ghost naming contest. And in here is a story that I published but haven't shared on Haunting Season yet. And a couple of my other ghost hunting friends are published in this as well. It's an awesome, awesome collection of stories. The reason I wanted to read it to you is because it's a little bit of a different format than what I'm used to on here. I'm usually speaking first person, and this is third person. And also, this time of year, with all of the darkness, but the warmth and happiness and being together and all the holidays, it just reminds me of being read to as a kid. And so I thought it might be kind of cool to read a scary story that I wrote. So I put up the Christmas lights, and I put on way too many layers, and I got myself a cup of coffee fantastic and I'm just gonna lean back and dig in this is gonna be a two-part story and this is part one of Paul's Rose One. Paul sat on the front porch in the freezing February air, drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette. 6 a.m., daily routine, step one in progress. He probably thought the cigarettes were his little secret, but I watched him every day as I stared out our second-story window, hoping to see what he appeared to be waiting for. It never seemed to come. When he was satisfied, he came back inside poured himself another cup of black, heavy, dark roast, and stomped up the stairs. He didn't mean to stomp. I doubt he even realized he was stomping. Joint issues and general wear and tear were starting to set in now that he's older. Mentally, he was still 25, but in reality, he was nearly twice that. i had grown accustomed to the sound of his oversized feet thump, thump, thumping up the stairs every morning. So much so that without it, I'm sure I'd wake up at 6.26 every morning, wondering what was wrong. As part of his routine, he headed for the office at the top of the stairs, located across the hall, diagonally from our bedroom. He placed his secret death sticks into the closet, where they remained hidden above the doorframe, held in place by an old electrical wire. Then he walked quickly to the washroom, where he completed step two of his daily routine, showering off the smell of tobacco while drinking his second cup of coffee in the shower stall. I have often wondered how he does this without consuming half a cup of shower water, but it's been years since he's invited me in with him. Drinking coffee in the shower was another one of the innocent little secrets he thought he kept from me. The rest of the routine was not much to speak of. He sat and wrote, and then sat and edited video, and then sat and watched video, and then edited, and then emailed. He rode his bike every day before lunch, which consisted of two scrambled egg whites wrapped in a burrito shell with a few slices of cheese that he didn't tell anyone about. Then back to sitting and editing and writing and watching. He loved it. I thought it was boring, but it didn't matter. I had my own things to tend to, but this, this was Paul. There were other things he did, but this was who he was, how he preferred to be. Ours had not always been a quiet marriage. We used to do things, to go out and adventure around the neighborhood. We'd make time for each other. We'd have dinner once a week in some mediocre restaurant that somehow always felt like the Plaza Hotel to me. It's the gesture. A back rub, some flowers, cleaning something up without being asked to. They don't all have to be intimate things, just something selfless that one does for the other. As soon as that selflessness stops, well, that's when things can fall apart. Once in a while, I'd poke my head in on Paul, trying to catch a glimpse of his creative process. We lived in a very old house with lots of old energy floating around it, so it was sometimes difficult to sneak a peek. The doors and floors creaked, but what I came to realize was that there are buildings, and more specifically, pockets of energy around our world that heighten one's senses. People are born with an innate ability to sense the world around them, and these pockets enhance those abilities. For example, that moment when you know someone is watching you. That feeling of burning in the back of your head like a hot sack of rice. It's heavy and very present. Then you turn and make eye contact with that other person and think, How did I know? That's the pocket. Old energy fueling your senses. Our house was one of those places. And on this day, just like any other, He knew exactly the moment I cracked the door to peek into the room. Not now, Rose. I'm on a roll, he spoke gently, without ever turning around. I paused for a moment, soaking in his creativity. Please, I just... I need to finish this, he reiterated. I wasn't hurt. I could understand how my presence was distracting. So I shut the door and left him to his, hopefully uninterrupted, cognition. I knew he hadn't forgotten me. I still lived there. And although he spoke to me on occasion, I still felt the need to leave him little reminders, nonetheless. Small things that said, Don't forget your wife. For instance, I'd move the keys away from where he'd left them. I'd switch off the light right before he did. I'd pull out a picture of us from the album and leave it on the floor by the bookshelf was exhausting, but I feared losing him altogether. I wasn't supposed to go this early. Two, you have cancer. You have cancer and you're going to die. That's not the way he said it, but that's exactly how I heard it. Life had been so perfect until this moment, until this interruption this unwelcome guest who will now be using my body without permission. How long does she have? About six months. My God, is there anything we can do? No. That's all I have from that day. A vague recollection of the bullet points of my inevitable death. But what does it matter? Why should I struggle to retain details about something I no longer care about? If it's all going to go away in six months... My first reaction was to get angry. But then I saw how crushed Paul was, and I knew this wasn't really about me. It couldn't be about me. I wouldn't allow it. I needed to make the next six months as wonderful as possible for Paul. I would hide the pain and the fear and focus on the good. Continue to make new memories, ones that would be even better than the ones we already had. This was going to be my final gift to Paul. In the beginning, it was painful for both of us. All he wanted to talk about was what we were going to miss out on. We would never raise kids together, we would never see South Africa, we would never this, we would never that. We began to argue about everything. My attempt at tranquility was just sending him further over the edge, and his stubbornness was keeping him from grabbing my hand and being pulled to safety. I needed to do something drastic. The cancer was after me, but I'd be damned if it took my marriage as well. Lost, I started going to church again. It had been years since we stopped going. Paul and I both went freelance about six years ago. He for writing, I for painting. We found Sundays to be the only time we truly spent together without work dominating the day. We still went to services on Christmas and Easter and tried to pick a few days in between to keep ourselves on track. It's funny how people can rationalize anything they want to. We felt we were good people and that we were grounded in our faith, so why should we have to attend every week? But I started to realize, after weeks of meditational Sundays, was how an entire part of me had been closed off. I started to feel like there was a part of this world that had been dark before, and that now it was opening up and soaking me in light. Just as with the pockets of old energy, there are man-made pockets of glory. Wherever a group of people meet in God's name, there is energy flowing that seeps into our spongy brains and works mysteriously inside us. I believe this energy is God itself, and that when I was there in his presence, he could truly hear me. I prayed for help for guidance, and for peace for me and Paul. And after some time, I found it, like a tiny ringing bell over the mountains. I found my peace. Paul and I had a few more adventures together. I refused hospitalization and treatment to minimize the cost of my death, and we took the money we'd saved and put it towards traveling. During the day, I would muscle through keeping a smile on my face, soaking in every glorious moment of life. At night, I would hold him as he cried himself to sleep. If ever there was a moment that I doubted Paul's love for me, it was wiped clean in these nights. This man was perfect, and I never wanted to leave him. It took almost a month to realize I had died. To me, it felt like we were naturally drifting apart, which was okay considering the effects the cancer was having on me. I became frail. Paul bought me a bed and sent me up in my own room for the final weeks. I did not want him to have to deal with my sleepless nights, or to have the emotional burden of waking up next to his dead wife. I found solace in this space, knowing that I was able to minimize the burden on him. My time was getting close, and I saw him less and less. Eventually, I was unable to speak. And all I could do was look at him and try to tell him with my eyes that I loved him and that everything was going to be okay. Sleep became easier. The pain became muted. And just as I gradually started feeling worse, I gradually started feeling better. Bit by bit, I was regaining my strength. Paul didn't come in to visit me anymore. Maybe that's because I can't speak, I thought. He may not know I'm awake. There's a strangeness about the afterworld, a clarity. The world we know is filled with thoughts and actions and chaos every which way we look. But in the afterworld, everything is clear, concise, and singular. My thought was to call for Paul. And because of that single important thought, I neglected to realize the days going by, the lack of food and water, the never needing to use a restroom there was nothing but working up the strength to call out to paul to let him know that i was there and i was feeling better i could hear him throughout the house walking about developing his routine every day as he reached the top of the stairs trailing that tobacco smell behind him i would try to reach him i would try to speak to call him into my loving arms again and one day nearly four weeks later when my strength was finally charged enough to mutter a single word, I spoke his name and the door opened. And there was my man, easily 12 pounds thinner with a beard that I had never seen standing before me. I tried to tell him I was getting better and that I would be well soon and that we could go on more adventures, but I used up all of my energy. I could not speak or even move as he looked around the room looking straight through me, and all at once, I knew I was no longer alive. 3. Paul sat on the front steps, smoking, freezing, clinging to his coffee. Snow was blanketed over our modest and secluded New Hampshire home. I wanted to tell him to come inside, but I had saved my energy for something different that day. On that day, I knew exactly what Paul was waiting for. A guest. A guest for me. It had been two months since I called out to him from my deathbed, and I had grown much stronger. It was as if time for me were running backwards. Each day I grew a little bit further from death, and I wondered how long this would go on for. Would I keep on growing until I was an infant? A fetus? Would I just evaporate into nothing? Or would my energy be reborn into a new life? I suppose if it all continued like that, it wouldn't matter, because my consciousness would unravel and therefore need to be rebuilt. When would I get to go to heaven? Did I have to find a passageway, or would it come to me like one of my clear, afterworldly thoughts? My thoughts were not feeling very clear yet, but I ascribed that directly to the new and confusing situation I was in. I thought there would be a clearer sign. Not that I was ready to go, and, and maybe that was just it maybe the path is only there when you are ready if this was all true i had 38 years left to decide or did i if i reverted back to a 16 year old would i be 16 forever in heaven would i even remember paul the doorbell rang a welcomed shock back to the now i had to get myself together if i was going to welcome our guest i followed paul to the door to find standing on the other side Patty Centrate, PPMD, paranormal, psychologist, and medium to the dead. Paul wasn't messing around. This lady was the real deal. Even before he got to the door, her thoughts were in my headspace. Hello, Rose. I can sense you. I'm not a threat. I'm here to help. I didn't respond. I was saving my energy for when I really needed it. But I was impressed. She had not yet entered the house, and she knew exactly how to communicate with me. Paul opened the door, and there she stood. She was just about 5 feet tall, with a short, crisp haircut exactly at the shoulders, and bangs that ended precisely at the eyebrows. Her hair was red, which she must have dyed herself because it was slightly unnatural looking. She was in her late 50s, seemed to be in relatively normal health, and dressed in all black. Her coat was like a cube of black floral fabric cut out of an old gothic couch and stuffed with shoulder pads. One good thing about dying early in life was that I would never be burdened with the limited clothing options for senior living. I could just follow Paul around and watch his clothes get closer and closer to being shaped like an old icebox. Or a coffin. Patty came in and sat in the living room with me as Paul brewed tea shouting apologies from the kitchen like, I wasn't sure what time you were coming over. I would have put the kettle on ten minutes ago. But my new friend and I did not take much notice of his jabber. We were having mind talk, a concept I was not prepared for. To the living, medium appears to be sifting through dirt when they communicate with the dead. Most of us, when we hear the term medium, think of a person holding their fingers to their temples and straining to find a clue amongst the sandstorm of interference. After two seconds with Patty, it was blindingly apparent how wrong we all had been. The human brain functions at a breakneck speed, thousands of thoughts happening at once. And when we talk, we focus on a handful of them. Then we order them and spit them out one at a time in a neat little row called speech. But when two minds are connected seamlessly, there is no need for order. Patty and I sat across the room from each other, having thousands of conversations at once. No thought was unheard or unanswered. Within the five minutes it took Paul to gather up some hot water, tea bags, and cookies, Patty found out all she needed to know about us. Then, with amazing mental control, she narrowed her connection to me to a single passageway and focused in on Paul. They talked for two hours, getting nowhere close to sharing the amount of information Patty and I had exchanged. She walked him through the house and told her where all the hot spots were, in places where I had contacted him through a sense or small action. She already knew all of this, of course, because of our conversation, but this part was for Paul. She was helping him come to terms with the fact that this was real. It was actually happening, and it was a good thing. She encouraged Paul to speak out loud to me whenever she could feel my presence and made us do an exercise. At her command, I reached out to touch him, which made him very cold. Then Patty had him speak out loud to me to acknowledge my presence. Hello, Rose. I love you more than life itself. I miss you so much. I couldn't hold myself back. I hugged him, causing him to shiver, and I whispered in his ear, I love you too. Before Patty left, she taught Paul some exercises for opening up his paranormal perception skills. She warned him that communication would take much more energy on my end than on his, and to be patient and not overbearing. He needed to let me rest between sessions, sometimes for a few days. Paul had so many questions after she left. I could see him getting frustrated with the time it took to connect, and it was aggravating for me as well. I couldn't always answer, but he could always ask. And it was this frustration that drove him to buy the Ouija board. Four, there has always been something about it that makes me uncomfortable. The Ouija board is not a game. It is a device, everyone knows that. There is an unwritten rule that you do not play with it and it is a testament to its power that it is still around despite most people's avoidance. But Paul was feeling desperate, his heart was sick and the only cure was alone time with his ghost wife. So ignoring all of the signs, He set up the board in our bedroom, lit a circle of candles, and switched off all the lights. As soon as he sat before that board, I felt the old energy of the house swell. All this time, I had looked at the energy as residue from times past, but in this moment there was an awakening. The house was a child rubbing its wool socks on the carpet, and the Ouija board was the metal door handle tempting a static shock. As Paul sat there with hesitation in his heart, I could feel the energy coil on itself, as if the house were being cranked like a music box. The energy was gathering, continuing to grow, to swell and to pulse. There was a noise in the air, not an audible noise, but a physical noise like a film green or television static. It was a presence and it felt bad. I had to warn Paul to stop before something awful happened. But I had no energy left from his constant contact this week. I was exhausted. I struggled to speak out to be heard, but when my energy is gone it's like screaming into a pillow. It's useless. All I could do was watch as he slowly closed his eyes and took a deep breath, sucking air down into his toasted lungs. The old energy was leeching off of him, tasting his depression like an old man sneaking a piece of skin off a perfectly cooked chicken before dinner. I focused on the purity of the afterworld, the divine focus that had been granted to me for communication. I picked one thought and reduced it down to one word. If I could just force enough energy out of myself to speak one word ever so gently in his ear, if he could just hear my warning, I might be able to save him from this evil that was getting ready to pounce. His fingers inched towards the planchet, ready to adventure. As I drifted towards his ear to stop it. The old energy was cresting like a tsunami, ready to wipe me and everything I knew and loved off this plane of existence. It was ready to unleash a truly powerful force that neither Paul nor I could possibly survive by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know how I knew this with such perfect certainty, but there was not an ounce of doubt in my mind that if Paul touched the planchette, it would all be over. Finally, I was next to his ear. I was close enough for even the slightest crackle to be heard. My remaining energy flared into action, funneling tightly into one perfect word to end this awful moment. Then, without warning, lightning split open the sky on the other side of the windows, illuminating the entire room like a flashbulb. Every nook popped with brightness, like a curtain being raised, revealing the three of us alone in the room, Paul, myself, and the impossibly dark mass between us. As I spoke, the old energy consumed my words so perfectly that it was as if it never came into my thoughts. And just in case that wasn't enough, just to be sure there was no more hesitation in Paul as his fingers came to rest on the planchette, There was a clap of thunder loud enough to mute the world. And for a brief moment, it did. Five. The old energy was stretching after a long hibernation. The planchette spasmed, sending pins and needles up Paul's arms and down his back and neck like an aftershock. I had released the last of what I had left, leaving me like a mere glowing ember amidst the growing blackness of our bedroom. What was once our safe space where Paul used to make me cry with joy while we made love, was now nothing more than a void in existence. We were inside the pocket. The heavens opened up, and the rain began to fall. Large, heavy drops exploded like bombshells on the roof above us, an appropriate noise to mirror the electrostatic encapsulating the room. After shaking off the chills, Paul closed his eyes again and spoke out to the room. Rose, it's Paul, your husband. I'm doing this because I love you, because I need to know you're okay. This past week since Miss Centrate was here has been difficult. I sense you were here before, but I wasn't sure. Now that I know, it's impossible for me to get comfortable with all of this until we can talk, and I think that's what this board is supposed to do. I'm not even sure this will work, but I think I felt you here just now, like pins and needles all up my arms and back so so i guess i should start this with a question are you willing to give this a try as if triggered by the punctuation of his question 38 beautiful beams of light rose out of the board they were glowing blue pillars of energy real energy there was one for every letter of the alphabet one for each of the single numbers as well as a pillar for yes and a pillar for no The final pillar rested on the bottom of the board over the word goodbye. These pillars of light would be the energy I needed to communicate. It didn't matter how expired I was. The board would be my focus, my fuel. What I would later understand was that the Ouija board had a great hidden power, the ability to take energy from human beings and pass it through to the afterworld. The problem on my side of the board was that there was no way of controlling who took the power or how it was used. Before I could make a move, I saw the dark mass grab hold of the yes pillar as the planchette dragged Paul's hands to the answer. That's not fair. Why was it allowed to answer? Paul was talking to me. I reached out and grabbed the no pillar, watching as Paul's hands were dragged back to the opposite side, and the relief in his face changed to confusion. I'm confused are you willing to give this a try? Paul questioned again. And again the void answered yes, as I answered no. And now the planchet was racing back and forth between the answers. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Rose, are you there? Paul asked, as his blood pressure was heightening, adding energy to the board. The old energy and I both grabbed the yes pillar, and the planchet raised Paul's hands into the air, slamming them onto the board over the answer. There was a gust of energy as all the candles extinguished at once. Paul's heart was racing. He was scared, unsure of what to do next. That only forced more power into the board. I could feel myself growing stronger, my presence building, which could mean only one thing. The old energy must have been growing as well, and I would have to fight to protect my husband. Another surge of power and the candles were lit again. Only this time the flames were deep crimson. Paul was afraid, and his fear was funneling straight through the board and into the old energy. I could feel it soaking in the power. The noises thickened as Paul sat there, afraid of his next question. I tried to take in as much as I could, but the fear didn't energize me like it did the dark mass. I had gained more power from Paul's love, curiosity, and good intentions. The same thing that drew me to him and fueled me in life were giving me power in the afterworld. Suddenly I knew how to win. I had to get Paul to stay positive, but how? My thoughts were being stifled by fear. I couldn't focus because I was afraid the next question might end the game. Rose? Paul hesitated. Is that you? The planchette raced back and forth, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Then I slipped and the game was over. I lost my divine focus when I looked into Paul's exhausted and terrified eyes. He was so afraid and filled with regret that i was becoming weakened and afraid myself the divine focus i had been directing towards him shifted from determination to worry that was enough for the old energy to stop what it was doing and begin to take from me this only sparked more fear which in turn gave it more power it sucked me dry until i could no longer play the game i was out and now it was paul versus evil the planchette moved with speed and accuracy sending the first clear message from the afterworld. Say. My. Name. Paul read it out loud in a weak but curious voice. It continued to move and spell. Set. Me. Free. Paul's eyes sunk with devastation. I was hoping you would stay here, he spoke out loud, assuming it was me, assuming that I was asking to be led into the light could do nothing to stop it as the darkness continued. I will, it told him. Say my name. Set me free. Paul hesitated, then spoke. Rose. A surge of power came to me. Again. Rose. Like an injection of adrenaline, my consciousness grew, but the evil in the room saw what was happening. Was already spelling out its final message. A N D R A S. Paul read it as it was spelled out over and over, faster and faster. A N D R A S. A N D R A S. A N D R A S. Paul's love was pouring out of him, but so was his fear. I began to focus my energy to speak again. I had to get a message to Paul to stop all of this, to never say that name for fear of what might happen next. Maybe now the old energy would be too distracted to stop me. I had to try. I had to muster all of my energy, even if it meant that I would stop existing on any plane. I had to get the message to him at all costs. And just as my words were beginning to form, Paul spoke. Andras. The candles burst into pillars of living fire, dancing together like naked women as the planchette rose into the air above the board. It hovered there as the dark mass, the old energy, began to take its true form. The static was gathering like atoms, slowly forming a shape from the blackness, what looked to be Paul's shadow. For a second, it was a perfect mirror image. Then it began to evolve. The shape of the head was growing and mutating, Below its shoulders, long, thick bones jutted out like another set of arms. They grew thick and full, coming to rest like a heavy armored cape at the shadow's back. Standing before Paul was a figure of a man's body, with the wings of an eagle and the head of a great owl holding the planchette. I watched helplessly as the demon, with its new form, smashed the planchet onto the board with a force that broke it in two. Pain rippled through Paul's entire body. A gust of energy surged through the room, sending Paul flying backwards into the wall, knocking him unconscious. And just as the candles went out, I saw the owlish demon move towards the door, and the planchette fell perfectly into place over goodbye. That's part one. Part two will be next week. I'll see you then. Haunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg, produced by Greg Holtzman and Jessica Richman, executive produced by Matt Geelan, Patrick James Lynch, Ryan Geelan, and as a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Geelan. This episode was hosted and written by me. The story was written by me. And again, it's Death Awaits, uh, Scarlet Nightmare, and it's available on Amazon. This episode was edited by Colby Crow. Select music from this episode, including this final track, was made by North Innsbruck. Links are in the description. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Video versions on YouTube and Facebook, audio versions wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week is part two of paul's rose and i'll be wearing this i recorded the credits for this episode at the same time as i recorded the credits for the next episode so a little sneak peek of what i'm gonna be wearing next week okay see ya